Um, truth be told, I wasn't going to do this message today. Um, I was actually very, very stubborn, and I had me a Jonah moment uh, this past weekend because um, I knew God was telling me I had to talk about this almost like three or four weeks ago, and I, and I said, no, thank you, uh, you know, because I can choose. Yeah, right. Um, and, and I struggled with it, and I said, you know what, no, I think I'm going to go with something easier, with something a little, you know, whatever. This isn't what God wants. And so I went and prepared a whole entire other message, and I did it, and I was ready, and I kept reading, and I kept going, this is a good message, but this is not the message. And I started panicking because it was Sunday night, and I was like, okay, this is not cool. Um, So I went back, and I just said, God, I'm really sorry. What do you want to say? And I think I shied away from this because I was very nervous about it. um, Because I don't want tonight to feel like I'm trying to just just uh, slap a band-aid on something that is so much bigger than that. Um, I'm not trying to pretend that this is a quick and easy fix, because honestly, nothing in life is. Um, I know that many, many times, especially in church, not just our church, but church in general, we've shied away from this topic because well, we don't know what to say. <laughs> and, we, and we miss the chance at open conversation on this. And the truth of the matter is, is that we don't like to talk about anxiety and depression and fear because, because, <laughs> because we struggle with it. Because it's, it's within us and it's around us and we don't know what to say. Sometimes you just don't know what to say. And, and I really, I wanted to do this in a way that actually acknowledged that many of us suffer from this in a way that is actually physical. I know that there are physical uh, things that happen to our brain and wiring and things that I, I'm not a doctor and I can't explain to you right now, but I know that scientifically there's facts that sometimes it's your brain. It's actually an illness that you are struggling with. And I don't want you to feel that you don't have enough faith and you haven't prayed hard enough and that's why you can't shake it because that's not what that's about. I know that's not what that's about. It is a struggle. It is a journey. It is something that we walk through with God. But there are others of us as well that have gone through so much suffering and so many things in our lives that those things have actually put us in a season of struggling with depression and anxiety and fear that feels like it controls us. It feels like it's too much. It feels like we cannot cope with this any longer. I believe that sometimes God cares for us, manifests his grace and his care for us through people who are trained for this. I think there's absolutely nothing wrong with finding help. I think that sometimes God uses trained physicians, good Christian counselors, medicine. Those are means of grace for some of us. But I also believe that the only one who can truly heal us is him. He works together with this other methods and and journeys with us in that. But he is the source of our healing. 
alone and apart from that, we cannot. We cannot cope. And while I don't want to minimize that there, there is a reality that this is an illness for some, there's also many of us that are struggling because this has been a really, really hard season. Because there's been a lot. Because life has been hard. Because you've lost someone. Because you're going through another illness that is provoking this situation. Because you, you have gone through darkness and it feels like it's not lifting. And this has brought ripple effects in your body, in your mind, in your relationships, and maybe even in your perception of who God is in this darkness. And I say many of us because I don't want you to think that I'm standing up here and I'm an alien to all of this and I have no idea what I'm talking about. I myself have walked through the darkness And I find myself there again and again, many times. I'm not a stranger to depression, and I'm not a stranger to anxiety. But I'm also not a stranger to the power of Jesus. And I would be missing the point tonight. I would be remiss to tell you to highlight the fact that anxiety has power and that depression has power. But I didn't point back to the one that has all the power. And yes, those things have power, and we speak of them. But I don't want you to forget the power of the gospel. I don't want you to forget what we just sang. We just sang it, and I love that we just sang it. I don't want you to forget the one who holds the entire world in his hands, knows you by name, knows your struggle, knows what you're walking through, knows your darkness. So tonight, I want to do that. With God's help, I want us to look at a psalm that I'm sure, I'm sure everyone has heard. If you've been alive and in contact with the church, you've heard the psalm. Yes? <laughs> and sometimes we tend to overlook this psalm as, yes, yes, we know what it says, the sheep and the thing and whatever, I don't know. You know what? And we miss so much truth packed in these six verses. We cannot afford to miss what God is teaching us through it. So let's pray one more time. Jesus, we come before you, Lord, and we know, we acknowledge how much we need. We need you. We don't want tonight to happen without you. We don't want to do this by ourselves. I pray, God, that it would be your words in my mouth and it would be, Holy Spirit, you working in our hearts, pointing our eyes back to you, Jesus. We love you and we love your word. Amen. So it must be behind me because you all smiled, but we're going to read through Psalm 23 tonight. And the first, la- the first verse of this song says, and you can read it aloud with me, the Lord is my shepherd to feed, guide, and shield me. I shall not lack. Some other versions say, um, I will not want, I have all that I need. Yes, but that is the basic main idea. I will not lack. 
I love that David chose this metaphor. If you are familiar with who David was, um, you know that he himself was a shepherd. He, those, that was his beginning. A lot of us may remember him as King David, but King David used to be a little shepherd boy, yes? And he spent many, many days looking after these animals. He knew exactly what he was talking about. He uses this comprehensive and, and very intimate metaphor. It's probably the most intimate one that we find in the Psalms because usually we hear him refer to God as king and rock and something mighty and something big and out there. But this time he's talking about him as his shepherd. And the shepherd lives with his sheep. He knows them. He's among them. He is everything to them. He guides them. He's their doctor. He binds up their wounds. He's their protector. He takes them on their journey. He makes sure nobody eats them. That is his life, the protection of his sheep. And David makes this his own. He doesn't say, it's everybody's shepherd. No, you are mine. You are my shepherd. This is a personal experience to him. This had deep personal meaning to him. He understood not only what it meant to be a shepherd, but he also understood what it meant to be a sheep. He's seen them. He saw how they behaved. He saw how, what they needed. He's, he knew this was a full-time job, taking care of these animals. As cute as they might look, they're very needy, yes? They need to be, no, no, please don't jump off a cliff. Come back, you know? You need to eat. You need to sleep in this thing over here. I don't know. I'm not a shepherd, guys. I'm trying, okay? You know, a pen. I don't know what we call it. Yes, so he knows. He knew it was a full-time job, and he knew they needed help all the time. And he was saying, if you are the shepherd, I'm recognizing very much so that I am a sheep. I need you. I'm desperate, God. I cannot do this without you. I truly need you to guide me and to care for me, or I'm going to fall off a cliff, or a wolf is going to eat me, or something is going to happen. I cannot do this on my own. And that is the heart of this psalm. For the people that recognize how much they need Jesus. It's kind of like what it it tells us in Matthew 5, verse 3. It says, blessed, spiritually prosperous, happy to be admired are the poor in spirit. Those devoid of spiritual arrogance. Those who regard themselves as insignificant. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven, both now and forever. It takes a minute, huh? Blessed those that understand, I can't do this on my own. I have nothing, Jesus. It is finally when we understand that we have nothing and can do nothing of our own that we become prime recipients for God's goodness towards us. And then we have to think, if the magnificent God of the universe cares for me personally, and I depend entirely on him, then whatever do I really lack or will ever need that he won't provide or care for? This sounds idyllic, doesn't it? 
You might be thinking, yes, Paula, that sounds so nice. But is it real, though? Is it real to me, though? How many times have we stayed up at night worrying about the things we cannot change or control? How many times have we stopped eating or sleeping or carrying on life as usual because we are so burdened by a burden that we cannot carry ourselves? How drastically would our lives change if we realized that we don't have to do that. You're not meant to shoulder the burden by yourself. You're not meant to carry this on your own. You are meant to realize how much you need him and rely on the shepherd who truly knows what we need and can actually do something about it. But I'm not going to tell you that this is easy because our hearts and our minds betray us. But we have to put in the work. And by work, I mean remind yourself. By work, I mean you have to speak to your soul and to your mind. You have to put the mental energy that you put onto other things. And by other things, I mean worrying. How much do we worry? All the time. If worrying burned calories, I'd be a lot thinner right now. Yes? I think about all the things I cannot change and I keep going round and round and I spend all this mental energy going, but if I did this and if I change that and if this happens and if that happens and it's like, oh my word. Maybe it's just me. I'm just preaching to myself over here. But we have to feed our faith. We have to feed our faith with the word of God. We have to meditate on the things that are true. We have to tell ourselves the things that are true, not your circumstance, not the darkness that you feel or the darkness that you see or the things that you cannot control. What do we say to our souls? What do we preach to ourselves every day, all the time? This is too much. I can't do this. Or the Lord is my shepherd. I will not lack. The Lord is my shepherd. I will not lack. And you grab a hold of a scripture and you memorize it. And you, and you write it on a little piece of paper and you put it on every single mirror in your house. Because you know you'll be looking in the mirror. So look in the mirror, read the verse out loud, and tell it to your soul. He's my shepherd, I'm not going to lack. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. It's not up there, it's just mine. It's a psalm. You have to preach to yourself. Because the, the voice that is constantly with you is yours. So what is it saying? What is it saying? We have to stop. We have to be so conscious of the things that we keep repeating over and over. I have to stop myself. Sometimes because you can't hear what I'm saying in here. Only me. So sometimes I have to say, you need to be quiet. You need to hear what God is saying right now. Because if I stay with the voices in my head, just the one, <laughs> just the one, I'm not going to get anywhere. But if I listen to what he says, then I can take another step today. I'm not saying, don't look to tomorrow, today. Okay. <sighs> is he my shepherd? 
or am I fending for myself? He says he's my shepherd. I'm walking out today. This is today. Tomorrow? Tomorrow will come. Tomorrow I will remind myself that he's my shepherd tomorrow too. But today, he's my shepherd. Verse 2 reminds us of another thing. It says, he makes me lie down in fresh, tender, green pastures. He leads me besides the still and restful waters. He refreshes and restores my life. He leads me in the paths of righteousness, uprightness, and right standing with him. Not for my earning it, but for his name's sake. I look, I look at this verse and I think, this looks like something out of a fairy tale. Um, <laughs> you know, something Disney would put on. Green pastures. You know, something beautiful, resting waters. I don't know. I don't even know what that looks like. It makes me think, this is terrible, but it look, makes me think of a Maleficent. Maleficent, I don't know how you say it. Yes? And, and before she goes all dark. It's beautiful, creatures and green everywhere, you know, and it is, you want to take a nap in this. You want to lay down, almost. And the truth of the matter is, I don't think we realize that God is interested, interested in our entire well-being. He wants you to rest. Of course, this rest begins with our spiritual Rest. He wants you to find rest in him, in who he is. But listen to me. You're not a soul floating around. I think you've noticed. You have a body and you have a mind and you have a soul. And you must take care of all of them. We don't do that sometimes. Have you ever felt so overwhelmed and tired that the least thing made you want to just break down and cry and throw something? Maybe, I don't know. Maybe that's just me. But yes, the smallest thing. And you're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. It's going to be okay. But it feels that way because you're so tired. You're so tired. You don't rest. You don't sleep. You don't eat well. You're not feeding yourself. How are you supposed to go on? I'm telling you, this is a real thing. I'm not making it up. I'm going to show you. Have you ever heard of the prophet Elijah? You know who he is? Yes, he was one of God's top dudes. You know, he used to hear him and go out and do all the things, literally all the things. He would pray and fire would fall from heaven. Then he would pray and then rain would fall. And, and I don't, you know, like this guy, we would think had it all together. Let me show you. He didn't. In 1 Kings, and you can read uh, chapter 18 in its entirety later. I'm not going to read it, but I'm going to tell you what happened, okay? 1 Kings 19 is what we're going to read in a minute. But 1 Kings 18 is, is where the day for Elijah just went down. Like, Elijah was a prophet, and he had a lot of people who didn't like him. You know, uh, he had... A crazy queen, the original crazy queen, if you want to say, the evil queen, Jezebel, she wanted to do away with him. And that's why he was sort of keeping away from her and her husband. But God told him, I need you to go over there where she is, and I need you to do, uh, I need you to show them that I'm the real God. So he's like, 
Okay, if you say so. So he goes and he literally has this showdown, because it was a showdown, with 400 other prophets. But these were false prophets, not real prophets, prophets of Baal. And the thing, the challenge that he put to them was this. Let's do this. You want to show me who the real God is? Let's do it. You pray and you call down fire from heaven and it turns on whatever you got going on there. And if it doesn't happen, then I'll do it over here and I'll show you that my God is the true God. And so he does, right? So he gives them, you go first. He tells the 400 uh, prophets of all. And so what do they do? For the better part of the day, they are screaming and cutting themselves and doing all this sorts of crazy stuff. And he's actually mocking them. He's having a good time. He's like, maybe he's sleeping. Maybe you should yell a little harder. You know, and they do. I don't know what's happening there. But they were screaming even louder and they were asking him, please, please fire. And finally, he's like, it's about to be dinner time, so I'm going to stop you right now. Listen. And so he grabs, he actually puts together an altar. He rebuilds an altar that Jezebel had taken down. And he digs a trench around it. He cuts up a bowl. Girls, this is some strength, okay? He cuts up the whole bowl. He puts it on the altar. Then he tells other men, dump all sorts of water on top of this. Now I'm going to pray. And he does. And he prays and he asks God, show yourself real to these people. And immediately, fire. It's out of a movie. You know, fire and fire licked up the water and the fire consumed the sacrifice. And everybody, of course, Israel, oh my gosh, you're the real God. Yes, yes, now we believe. Fantastic. Okay, so now I have to kill all of you. So he does. It's very intense. It's a very intense day. He grabs these 400 men, takes them down to a river, does away with them. And then the day is not over yet. There was a drought. So now he has to show Jezebel that he's going to call down rain. So he gets on his face and he prays and he prays and he prays until God makes it rain. And the day is not done. And and it says that he asked God for strength. He pulled up his skirt. I'm not even kidding you. You can go read it. Tucks it in and runs all the way back to the city so he can make it before the king does. Finally, he makes it. But the king also made it and tells his wife what just happened. He just killed all your prophets. And he just had this massive showdown. And she got really mad. Like crazy mad. And so she decided that she was going to kill him. And she threatened him. But listen, he, he had been threatened before. This wasn't new. But this time around... This is what happened. In 1 Kings 19, verse 3, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, and he sat down under it and prayed that he might die. He said, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. Because I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. 
He looked around, and there by his head was some baked bread over hot coals in a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. And strengthened by the food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went in a cave and spent the night. How does God deal with Elijah when he's feeling this way? What does he say to him? Come on, man, get it together. You are a prophet of the Lord. No. He knew you're human. You're weak. You're tired. You've done a lot. It's been a long day, man. Sleep. Eat. And repeat. Do it again. He, had, he was drained. He was worn out. He was exhausted. It was, chapter 18 was amazing in very crazy ways. And you would think that somebody that just witnessed God do that wouldn't be saying, take my life, I can't do it. But here we are. Exhaustion will also do that to you. When you don't take care of your physical body and give yourself a moment to eat a proper meal, to actually sleep, to have just a moment to yourself, we can actually end up saying things like this, over-exhaustion, worn out, it is an actual thing. We burn ourselves out. Now, don't be taking this to the extreme. And on Sunday, Paula said, I need to sleep. I'm going to sleep in, then go to brunch. Jesus is taking care of me. No, that's not what I'm saying, okay? No, no, no. Go to bed at a decent hour. Eat good meals. Plan. Go for a swim. Go for a walk. Do things that will actually de-stress your body. God made you human for a reason. You, you have all three things to take care of, but these are not instead of praying and being in the Word. These are in addition to praying and being in the Word. Take care of your body, take care of your mind, but never stop taking care of your soul. God wasn't done with Elijah. He had to feed him, reach hard chance, so he could continue on the journey. He could continue doing what God wanted him to do. We need to rest. But now you might be saying, okay, that's nice. The Lord is my shepherd. I need to eat and sleep. That's very nice. But what about when the darkness is already here? What about when depression has already hit? When the circumstances have already overwhelmed me to the point where I cannot see another day. And it truly feels like I am all alone in the shadows. Read with me verse 4. Yes, though I walk through the deep, sunless valley of the shadow of death, I will fear or dread no evil. For you are with me. Your rod to protect and your staff to guide. They will comfort me. 
David was no stranger to the darkness. He knew very well what desperation felt like. Have you read the Psalms? Like, the Lord is amazing. Oh my gosh, I'm going to die. Everything is great. Why don't I just die tomorrow? You know, like the man was up and down all the time. He was up here. He was down there. He struggled. He knew. Saul was after him for years. He had to sleep in caves. His life was not all fun and games for a very long time. Before he was King David, this boy turning into a man had to run for his life because he was literally hunted like a dog. He could not sleep in peace. He could not be at rest. He knew what it was like to suffer. He lost a child. He paid consequences for sin. He knew what it was like to suffer. He wasn't writing this in his palace in a jacuzzi. Yes, yes, you're walking with me in the dark. No. He knew. But you know what? The beauty of the Psalms is that again and again, we see him lift up his eyes, and find his shepherd was still there. Again and again. And that's why we see the ups and the downs. Because he is, he was human like you and like me, like Elijah. But you know what? Even in his darkness, he realized, my shepherd is still here. He's still my keeper. He's still powerful. He has not left me. He wasn't implying that we wouldn't walk through dark valleys or that there would be nothing to fear. But the thing that steadied him was knowing that God walked with him in them. I need you, I need you to know tonight that God is not mad at you if you're in the darkness. He's not mad at you. He hasn't left you to walk this on your own. You may not be aware of his presence while you find yourself in the valley. I understand that. But we hold on to the hope of his word that has promised that he walks with us. And it becomes more than a verse that we repeat, and it becomes a revelation in our hearts that his goodness and his unbreakable love for us will be there and will guide and protect us and you will make it through this. You will make it through this. I'm not, in a sense, glad that I have experienced this. But in a way, I am. Before I knew what depression was like, I thought I knew God. I thought I knew his love for me. And I thought I was okay. I was 16, around then. It's blurry now, guys. It's been a while. Um, But my first encounter with repression was because a series of very unfortunate events happened all together, very close in time. And at first, I thought I could hide it. I thought I could just walk it off. I thought, "This, this must go away. This, I... I'm young, I'm healthy, I'm fine. I'm not, this is not, I'm, I'm a Christian, you know? And it wasn't until a prayer night 
that I was praying or attempting to, and I lost it completely, uncontrollably, couldn't stop crying. At first, people were like, oh my goodness, she's so spiritual. No, it was me having a panic attack, and I couldn't stop. <laughs> I couldn't stop crying. I couldn't control myself until they figured it out, and they removed me. And I had to tell my parents and my family what was going on. And it, feels, it felt at that moment that from that day onward, everything just spiraled out of control. I couldn't control how I felt. I felt alone. I felt like I was in the state of mind that I couldn't shake. I felt sad all the time. But the worst feeling of all was, and I think looking back now, sparked by a lie. A lie from the enemy. Because I remember distinctly that I would hold on to these words, and I don't know why, and I would think them over and over again. God must be mad at you. You must have done something really, really wrong to be where you are. This wouldn't have happened to you if he wasn't mad. Or if you had been good. This must be because of you. And it was a lie then, and it's a lie today. But it was the lie that entrapped me for months, on end. I held on to it, I kept repeating it to myself, and I believed it. It made me angry, and it made me bitter at God. It held me captive, and it kept me in the dark for way longer than I should have been. I was so angry, but... The craziest thing was that in all of it, even when I kept saying, or it kept saying into my ear, he doesn't love you, he must be mad at you. The only thing that I wanted was to know that God loved me. The only thing that I needed to hear over and over again was, I still love you and I am with you. I needed to be reminded all the while that he loved me, that he cared for me, even when I couldn't see it, and even when I couldn't feel it or sense it, even in the dark, I needed to know that God was there. You need to know that God is not far from you in your suffering. You need to know that he's not mad when you're doubting. You need to know that he's not disappointed in you. And he's not going to leave you there either. The imagery that David wants us to remember is a little defenseless sheep walking in a valley of shadow of death. And the only way that this sheep is getting through is because the shepherd has a staff and a rod. And he's walking, and he's hitting the wolves away, and he's telling the lies to be quiet, and he's guiding the way for the sheep. That's the only way you're getting out. That's the only way any of us are walking through this. But the enemy is going to try to lie to you. He's going to whisper in your ear. He's going to try to distort the truth, and he's going to make you believe that you have been abandoned by God. And nothing could be further from the truth. God isn't scared or taken aback by your emotions or your feelings. 
he was still fighting for meat in the dark. And he used his rod and his staff to beat away the wolves and make a way for me, even when I couldn't see it. He orchestrated my rescue and my way back home. And he walked me all the way there. The enemy would love nothing more than to have us think that we're alone, that he's left you, or that you shouldn't even be in this position in the first place. And I want you to look at the next verse with me. Verse 5 says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My brimming cup runs over. I can almost picture this beautiful scene in my mind. I can almost see what he's saying. He's saying there's a raging war on the outside. The enemies are searing in on you. Fear, depression, anxiety, loss, anger, whatever it may be that is your enemy at the moment. Whatever you might consider that situation that you feel that you cannot escape right now. And you know what he's doing? He may not be taking you out, which is what we all want, right? Jesus, get me out of this. But you know what he's doing? He's grabbing the best tablecloth. He's grabbing the most amazing meal. And he's putting out a table for you. He's setting out a banquet for you and him to meet. He's not taking you out of the war zone, but he's putting out a spread for you. He's putting on himself. He's saying, I'm not going to get you out of this just yet, but I'm going to meet, I'm right here with you. And you are going to enjoy my presence even here. That is what this spread is all about. No, I'm not talking about a turkey or a ham or something of the sorts. No, I know you might be hungry, but this is different. This feast, this banquet, this speaks of intimacy with you. Jesus wants to feed you. He wants to refresh you. He wants to renew you. Not a rushed and crazy thing. He's saying, listen, in the middle of everything, you can sit down. And you can enjoy my presence. And I can be with you and you with me. And you can have peace in your darkness. And I, and I can give you strength for the fight. And he can be your sustenance and he can be your song and he can be your everything. There's a way of knowing God in the darkest of days that would not happen otherwise. There's a way of knowing God when you are in pain and you're suffering and nothing seems to go right. And then somehow, there's a table set for you. And nobody else gets to sit there. It's just you and him. And he refreshes your soul. That's what the oil means. That when people in the Old Testament or back in those days would come to dinner at somebody's house, it was so hot outside, they didn't have wonderful AC. They were sweating and stinky. And they would come and, it, and they would pour oil over their guests' heads to refresh them, to make them feel renewed, to smell good, and renew them for the journey ahead. 
That is what he's doing with you. He gives you what you need to keep fighting. One more day to keep walking, to keep moving forward. I'm pretty sure that if you've known me for longer than um, maybe a year or so, or if you've been to more flourishes than this one, um, you already know that my first almost two years here, I wanted to pack my bags every single day. Jesus, get me out. I do not need to be here. I don't belong at this island. You know, the circumstances that brought me here and the circumstances that went on for the first almost two years here were just too much. I was broken. I was exhausted. It just seemed that everything was just going from bad to worse. And I, for a moment, thought I was going to lose it. I really, I, I probably lost a few marbles and I never got them back. I don't know. You know, but I thought... And I actually said this to my husband multiple times. This is the island when I have come to die. <laughs> Talk about Elijah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is the island where all dreams come to die and I'm going to die with it. Well, <laughs> and then God gave me this verse one day. Isaiah 51, 3. For the Lord will comfort Zion. You read it. <laughs> and he will comfort all of her waste places. And he will make her wilderness like Eden. And her desert like the garden of the Lord. And joy and gladness will be found in her. Thanksgiving and the voice of song or instrument of praise. Here, in this island where I thought I was going to lose it, God birthed this, this right here. I thought I wasn't going to be able to do this anymore. I thought the enemy had taken everything from me. And God said, no. He said, I'm going to make that place, that rock that you complain about all day long, I'm going to make it the place where you flourish. take that out. <laughs> and he gave me a song again. And he gave me purpose again. And he didn't take me out. I'm still here. <laughs> I didn't die. I didn't lose it completely. But in the presence of my enemies, God anointed my head. Over and over and over again. And he refreshed me and he gave me strength to fight. Another day, one more time. And the invitation for the table is for all of us. It wasn't just for me. I'm not special in any way. The invitation is for you. 
in your desert, in your rock, in your island that you wish he would take you out of. He's saying the table is set and I'm going to do something new for you. I'm going to make you flourish here where you are. Because he doesn't have to take us out to reveal himself to us. And he promises, verse 6, Surely, or only goodness, mercy, and unfailing love will follow me all the days of my life. And through the length of my days, the house of the Lord and his presence shall be my dwelling place. The dark places of our lives are not our whole story. Our stories don't end there. There's hope. As long as there is breath, there is hope. As long as there is Jesus, there is hope. And there will forever be Jesus. So there will forever be hope. For your circumstance and for mine. For your depression. For your anxiety. For the things that you cannot change. But the enemy has been trying to take you out for too long. It almost took me out twice, and it's happening again. Don't let him. Don't let him stop you. Don't let him define you. That is not who you are. You are not your suffering. You are not your depression. You are not your anxiety. You are his sheep. You are loved, and you are cared for, and he is walking you through. Hear me. He is walking you through. You're not going to stay there. You're going to walk through this. And his presence will be the seal upon your life. His presence is going to give you strength to fight another day. And when you fail, you get back up. And you look at him and you say, God, I don't have faith for today. Good. Second Timothy 2.13 says, if we are faithless, he gives up. No, he remains faithful, true to his word and his righteous character, for he cannot deny himself. The Lord is my shepherd. He doesn't change. He's not going to leave me. His love and his care is not going to fail you. The Lord is my shepherd, your shepherd. He is all that we need. We can rest because he's in control. We can walk through the darkness and the darkest seasons because he walks with us. We can sit at the table by his invitation and enjoy his presence even in the fight for our lives, for our minds, and he will bring us through to his goodness for our lives. Let's pray together. Jesus, God, we thank you. Oh, how we thank you that you are our shepherd. How we thank you, God, that you are everything that we need. And tonight, tonight, we want to declare one more time that you are our living hope that you are the victory that we stand on, that you are the one that's fighting our battles tonight. And so as we stand up to sing one more time, 
I want us in faith, I want us in faith to pray for somebody tonight. We're going to sing Living Hope one more time. But I want you to grab a hold of somebody. Grab somebody's hand, grab somebody's shoulder, and pray for your sister tonight. You may not know her, but the Spirit of God can still pray through you. And we're going to sing because you know what? Even in your circumstance tonight, He is your song. And we can sing and we can rejoice. So let's stand up and sing one more time. Mm-hmm.